So what did you guys think of uh, Mere Survival? A plus. <clears throat> Even though I, uh, there's there's some there's some pretty weak points. What'd you think of it? Actually, you know what? Hand those papers in before I forget. You don't have to fold the corner. Sorry. They no. don't want them to fall apart. The staff has no idea who is Then I'll give you all an A. Are we going all A's? Yeah. Huh? Are we saying we'll give it all A for what? If I drop them. You should put your, your name on the corner. Yeah, right. Oh, insert a... Smart. <laughs> can, I mean, if you pause it, everybody will get an A yeah. except for you. But. I suppose you could all take a different fall. Yeah, just a different day. Somebody's trying to get away with a paper clip. <laughs> <laughs> He said, "Everybody, that's what he was doing." Oh, done with that. Wait, you took me. Yeah, but you don't like. You don't have to bend the corners. Yeah, well, thank you. You don't have to put on paper clips. I got this. I'm a grown man. I can I can hold stacks of paper. Um. Yeah. So no, I want to have just a little dis. I want to have a little discussion surrounding it. What'd you think? Did you buy in? <clears throat> what are your arguments against? What are your arguments for? Otherwise, I'm just going to start calling on people. I mean, if you read it and you wrote on it, it should be in your head, right? So what'd you write on? Well, some of them had me like... <clears throat> But again, too, how could you contradict that by using what Lewis was right? I kind of like, with that, I kind of made the point, like, um, like how Lewis said, like, math was a fact, but we don't really just know that, so we have to, like, be formed in that, just like our conscience has to be formed, I guess. Right. And math, and, and math, is, math exists whether you're taught it or not, right? And so just because something's taught or learned doesn't mean that it's a human invention. <clears throat> I mean, the very fact, you've got to think this way, too. I, at least, this, maybe this is just me, but mathematics in itself, you know, forget morality, forget all these. Is mathematics objective? Not really. Huh? Is mathematics what? Objective. Yes. yes. Why would you say not really? Because, like... I understand how math is like factual, but is anything like, I don't know how to describe it, I'm thinking of like abstractly, like is everything truly like whole, like one, I don't know how to describe it. What do you mean by that? Like there's an infinite number within a number, like there are infinite numbers within one, so how can something actually, I don't know, it's, 
I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> We're all tired, brother. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you, again, the, 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 maybe the more abstract math, but I mean, there, we would, without the, the factual basis of math, without the objective nature of math, we can't make things work. So there, there well, no. Would it be possible to live our life without knowing math? Sure. I'm talking, <laughs> um, yeah. But we, I mean, we as humans are meant to discover. And we continue to discover, and as we discover, and again, I would, like, I'm were biased. We, were we always meant to discover, though? Like, <clears throat> thinking, like, Garden of Eden, we lost our way when we ate the apple of knowledge. Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's actually happening or not. But before that, we were just, like, all <clears throat> finding candy being naked in the garden, just eating fruits and vegetables. Right. I mean, life was grand, right? And God only gave us one, one, one rule. What was the one rule? Don't be mean. Right? Because, the, the, again, we've got to be careful with the fruit and all that stuff and not make it into a tree and an apple. It was, it's, it's all, it's, you know, it's an analogy. It's, it's, a, it's a story. It's telling us the truth about something that's gone wrong in humanity. So when God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he's saying, don't try to decide for yourself what's good and evil. Leave that up to me. Anything else you want to do, go ahead and do it. You want to kick the monkey, kick the monkey. You want to eat bananas, eat bananas. You want to, the whole creation is yours. Just don't try to decide what's right and wrong for yourself. That was, that's the story of Genesis. Okay? And yeah, things, things were grand, you know? We only had one rule. It kills me when people are like, Catholic Church has so many rules. I'm like, yeah, God tried it once with one. It didn't work. <laughs> Said one. It was one rule. But yeah, we were meant, I mean, he... God says in the creation story, and, and again, I want to be careful about this because I don't want to quite get into religion too much here. But, you know, he says, have dominion. Subdue the earth. Have dominion over it. What does that mean? Harness it. Learn about it. Discover it. Figure it out. Figure that you can take, like, you know, I don't know, uh, opiates and make painkillers. And humans say, opiates, painkillers, let's abuse the hell out of them. God says, no! <laughs> That's not having dominion. That's being dominated by. So yeah, the, the, I mean, the idea is, is that human beings, I mean, by our very nature, we are curious. Right? We always want, we're trying to learn new stuff. We're trying to figure out new stuff. That's what we do. If dominion means to rule over, does that mean it means to possess? Or what does... <clears throat> in respect to the conversation a long time ago today. Mm -hmm. but. <clears throat> I would say it, it, it means you should, be, you should be using all of creation for the, for the greater good of humanity. In whatever way you can. Now, and again, we have to be careful. That, that's why the Lord's like, you know, he has to give rules balancing this stuff. Because you can be like, well, the greater good of humanity is to give the guy morphine. Okay, yeah, I mean, he's in a lot of pain. Let's make him comfortable. Well, no, let's just kill him. Well, says, no, you can't kill. You can't, you, you can't murder a person. And so there has to, there's, these, there's rules that, ground that, you know, that, that govern this whole thing. But the question is, is are, the, are the rules human inventions? Right? Like, like government laws that can be changed? You know, so if I'm speeding and I get pulled over, what happens? No, because I'm a priest. I only get warnings. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I get, I get a ticket. That ticket is what? 50 bucks, right? That's the penalty. Could that change? 
Yeah, that can change any time. Whenever the government says we can change this. But if you, you know, if, if you kill an innocent human person, can that, can that law change? Can somebody say, no, you can kill innocent human people. That's okay. And it'd be true for all of humanity. Are these human inventions or are they being discovered as objective rules? A law that's a standard. It's almost imposed on us from without. Everybody has a rudimentary sense of it, right? So, like, you know, if the, the, the example Lewis gives, right, is he's like, oh, man, you got chewy granola, I'm really hungry, and you got a power. I'll trade you these, and I'll give you a Butterfinger and a Mountain Dew. And you're like, okay. And I'm like, boom, and I run away with it, right? <clears throat> What's going through his head? You can't do that. Why? He should, he's holding me already to some sort of standard that I should know that if I say something, that I should come through on my bargain. Why? Why does he assume that? <clears throat> yeah, pretty much what I said. Because um, it seems like, for the most part, doing unmoral, like immoral Im things um, is easier. Mm. So punching him in the face would be a lot easier than having to use your resources and trading him. So what I was like kind of thinking was someone must have put the idea into our head because we are we're people who want to the easiest things, at least now. Um, so someone must have put an idea into our head, God. Um, well, let's even say humanity, because this is what he's arguing. Okay. Okay. So why would humanity put a rule into our head that is really, really freaking hard and almost impossible to follow? And most times demands like that we give of ourselves more than we take when our instincts tell us that we should take all the time. Like what human being would do that? One who has never sinned. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm, okay, I'm with you. <laughs> but the, the question is, you know, like because some people make the argument, you know, that, that, that this is a rule that's imposed on humanity and humans made it up so they could cope with everything. Right? That's what Marx calls it, the opiate of the states. Religion, rules, all this, these standards. It's a way for people to cope with their miserable human existence. Okay, I mean, that's a fair enough argument, but I would come back and say, if that's true, why the hell did we make God so hard? You know, my kind of religion is the God that's like, you can do whatever you want, and you can still go to heaven. But that's not what we find in the history of mankind. We find these beings, first, in the pagan world, that are incredibly, like, the, the punitive consequences that come from defying the gods. Like, all the people in the early, you know, the pagan time just walked around in fear. They were afraid of offending the gods. If we were making up all these gods, and they didn't have some sort of external, you know, dimension, why would we make them so terrible? I, I, I don't know. I mean, Marx would say because it controls people. Right? So if I have a terrible God that's, you know, vindictive and is going to send you to hell, then you'll listen to me when I say these are the rules. And it will control you. I don't know. So again, we come back to the question. What, it, really quick, just so we're clear, what is his base argument? It's for survival. What's that? It's for survival. What is Morality is for survival. Morality is based on survival. Correct? Okay. Is that true? 
I didn't think it was true because I feel like most of the immoral groups, like as we would perceive them to be immoral, they're like the Nazis for the most part, like they had some success, but they're diminished. They're gone. So. Morality, one of the things that I thought about was if morality is based on survival, then why would someone else risk their life to save the life of another person? Okay. What does he say about that? <clears throat> to like he increase the, you know, like the community believes. What's that? He said that like the community will have like faith and it'll give them like hope or something. Mm -hmm. like right. If somebody would give their life for another, it, it would get increased bravery and courage within the army. <clears throat> is that true? Depends on the army. Right, well, and it, it depends on quite a few things. And this is really important because the base of his argument is morality is based on survival. And we're going to come back and say, well, what about the person that gives their life with no possible chance of return for somebody that they don't even freaking know? Right? Because people do that. And he's going to say, well, that is a product left over from war. Do, do you, do, is this suspect to you at all? Why, Mr. Stevens? Why is it? Um, well, <coughs> just on the basis, um, I'm not sure if I read it right now. Um, my argument was, what I kind of gleaned from that was that um, we were, like, through natural selection from us fighting, like, the armies that had shown attributes like bravery and strength and integrity were the ones that won. And so those were the genes that continued to move forward and those were the basis for those values and morality. And the problem with that thought is that, um, where was I going with that? Um, that's true, that's a, I mean, that's, you're reading it right. That's what he would say. Right, and then the problem with that is that uh, other things, other values that we get from armies, such as ferocity, aggressiveness, those would also uh, be expanded through the gene pool by the more aggressive army winning, and there is going to continue to be aggressiveness, but those aren't traits that we would uphold and would uh, see as moral necessarily. Right, but I mean, in, in the aspect of war, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just thinking, like, he compares it a lot to armies, but, I mean, was everyone in an army? Like, was there an entire population, like, fighting? Well, I'm it was people... that's a good question, but, I mean, he would simply say, he'd say, armies are what controlled, you know, what protected people. And so whatever the army believed, or whatever the army, you know, the winning army would impose their beliefs on somebody else. But, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, not everybody's in the army. But he's saying these things that are passed on from war would in fact build up the community. So if you have brave and courageous men, that they come back from war and they're like, this protects us when people are brave and courageous. So we should be brave and courageous. <clears throat> yeah. I'm not like entirely, I don't have all the knowledge behind like the movie 300 and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Those were probably some of the bravest, at least they were portrayed the bravest. Um, <clears throat> men, but they still, there wasn't enough of them, and their civilization, I mean, 
they get overrun, and Xerxes comes and rapes and pillages. And this is where we run into a problem. We can even use 300, right? Because what they did, was that according to natural selection, evolution, all this stuff, was that smart? No, it was ridiculously dumb. They knew they couldn't win. They knew that they were going to die. Now, you can sit back and say, well, they were optimistic about the fact that maybe their fighting would you know, slow down Xerxes a little bit, which would allow Greece to be able to come, which is, in fact, what happened. But you're telling me that optimism can override the, nat the, the instinct for survival, which is a primordial instinct with every, which every human being has? Here's the other thing that really bothers me about this, uh, his point, that, in fact, right, Dying for another should not be written into us, right? If it's natural selection and survival of the fittest, dying, I should be careful, dying for another with no purpose except just to save them and you're going to die. Even with the possibility that you could both die, okay? That should not be built into us according to instinct. Now, he says it is built into us according to instinct because somebody originally gave their life for somebody else, and then people decided that that was a good thing. Not only a good thing, the best, the highest act of valor. So back to Jesus. Why? <laughs> Hold on, you're jumping too fast. Why did the first person do it? That's the question, and that's what he doesn't answer. He says, why did the first person give his life? I don't know. And then what he does is a very, it's very clever in, in arguing, is he, he kind of cracks a joke, which gets you not thinking about what he just said. Because remember he says, why did the first man do it? I don't know. There was probably circumstances, stuff surrounding it. We can't say for sure. Let's be honest. Who can say that the first chimpanzee that found termites by sticking a stick down a hole was not having some lewd joke? Right? So he's not, his base argument, he is leaving open. And that's a serious problem to go on and continue a whole argument based on survival when you don't answer that question. Because you would literally have to say that it was an accident. If it's not built into us, and this is when I talked to him, I said, you're telling me that some, and you have to, and somebody had to have seen it and said, wow, that was really good. And then told everybody else. But literally, this is what... Basically what it had to happen. A guy was, you know, a guy was getting ready to throw a harpoon. I don't know, I'm just <laughs> way back when. <clears throat> or a rock. And this guy was like running to go and get another rock and he tripped sideways and like fell in front of this guy and boom, you know, he takes the rock to the forehead and dies, and then this guy has enough time to throw his harpoon and kill that guy. And then somebody else actually saw it and said, Holy cow, that was really brave. I mean, that's freaking that's stretching it, man. And then he says something else that is really, you're going to, you're going to, what if, uh, say it was a lie, what if uh, somebody <coughs> survived, they killed that guy, said, how did he die? Oh, he saved me, he sacrificed his life, you know, the victor gets to tell the history of it, victor. so, all right, well, I mean, you know, whoever wins the war, the battle, gets to tell the history of it, so he told the people, who goes back to themselves, yeah, he saved my life, he gave his life for me, and now everybody thinks it's great. When it's all based on a lie. Right. And it, but again, I would sit back and I would say, if that, if you and I are debating, we're talking about critical thinking, and that is your answer to my question of how did the first guy, how did we find out about the first guy, that's your, I would be like, man, that is freaking thin. You know, that is thin. Now, I, I'm saying, could it have happened? I guess. I mean, you know, like, a guy could have been, you know, 
you know, bending down to pick up something. When he stood up, he took an arrow through his forehead. And there's another guy behind him. Yeah, but that's thin. In the simplest <clears throat> form, his argument states that if it's the guy is to um, sacrifice himself or has the opportunity to sacrifice himself for another individual for no reward, he would choose not to for the simplicity of like, you will be saved immediately right there. Or what morality says is it's not the choice to or not to, it's the feeling that you ought to. Right. So according, according to Lewis. Right. 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 Exactly. No, that would be a good... And yeah, but he has to stay, you understand, he has to stay that line of argument because he doesn't believe in the law of human nature. Another one that is very telling about this argument is he says, <clears throat> this one killed me. The reason that the, when he's talking about Arianism, he said the reason that it, the ideas that involve the purging of the weak from a race do not work is because of three factors. One is that trains of thought justifying killing of innocents. If the innocent can be killed without consequence, when is it completely impossible for men to trust one another? Or that it is completely impossible for men to trust one another. The second factor is that if the weakest of the weak are eliminated, then the weakest must have, then the next weakest must eventually be eliminated. <coughs> and I got thinking, I was like, what about abortion? If morality is all based on survival and all this stuff, and like the reason why these things don't continue, why 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 is abortion seen as such a great good then? It's killing of the weakest of the weak. And, we're, and obviously, if we're such an advanced society, I mean, you would think, and here would, here's another thing, you would think that if morality is evolutionary, just like the human being, we should be what? Progressing towards what? Yeah. How are we doing morally? I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. He says trust in there, too. It's like with trust, there's the expectation that someone else will be honest with you, which there's an objective standard there. For exactly. Them. No, he'll, he uses it all the time. He uses the objective standard very subtly, but all the time. Now, I will give him this. This is a high school kid. That's pretty damn good for a high school kid. Now, he worked in a parking garage and had a lot of time to think. <laughs> But I love, I love the last sentence, he was, you know, because he was spot on. I mean, it's, it's a bit derogatory, but he says, At this point, I'd like to state that if a person believes in Jesus Christ and his miracles, then my argument cannot be accepted. There may be valid points in it, but all the talk about natural selection, the passing on principles, and, val and human invention does not do a thing to explain that carpenter and his magic tricks. <clears throat> and it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a punch, but he knows, he knows, if, if in fact Jesus is who he says he is, then the objective standard is not only just this figment of our imagination, now it has been made incarnate in flesh. Okay? Anyway, I'll, I look forward to reading what you guys wrote, uh, but I do want to move on here. So, oh, I want to get into objective and subject. We're going to switch colors. Okay, I just need a couple volunteers. Anybody on this side? Come on. You're on this side. You're on this side. It's three simple questions. Number one. 
Don't let the other guy, don't look, don't cheat here. Who is, right now, the best football team in the NFL? <clears throat> Is your favorite color? <clears throat> three. What is the square root of three thousand six hundred and fifty seven? Okay, sit down. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> Who's correct? Seahawks. <laughs> they, they won last year. <clears throat> and they're in the Super Bowl again this year. <laughs> As of right now, here's the, here's the first question. Is this objective or subjective? It's objective. Do we have a standard to, to measure who, who is the greatest football team in the world? The Super Bowl! They're the world champions. That makes them the best team. It's objective. That's our measurement. You can say Broncos, Packers, Vikings. Well, you wouldn't say Vikings. You can say whoever you want, but the measurement is... The Super Bowl. And until next Sunday, the Seattle Seahawks are still the number one team, according to our objective standard, which is the Super Bowl. Number two, blue. Blue. Subjective or objective? Subjective. You can say blue, I'd be like, no, it's green. Be like, no, Father, it's blue. No, it's green. I know it's green. I can feel it in my bones. It's green. You're lying. You're like, no, it's freaking blue. Okay? Square root of 3,667. Objective or subjective? Objective. Mathematics. I don't know what the hell it is. Who cares? That was the point. What is it? Between 60 and 61. Nice. Cool. We'll say 60 and a half. <laughs> so the point is, is we got to be careful. The reason, the main one I like to ask is this, because people like, you know, like you're gonna put Broncos, somebody's gonna put Packers, somebody's, because what are they? What are you doing? You're treating it as a subjective question. But that's why I asked it very distinctly. I said, who right now is the greatest team in the world in the NFL? It's the Seattle Seahawks, and it's probably gonna be the Seattle Seahawks again. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, can I, okay, okay, can I just take a time out here? <laughs> a little bit of a soapbox. That is so stupid. This, this, the, the deflated balls. It is so dumb. Right? Is somebody with me? Like, uh, we have people dying in the Middle East, and we're reporting on deflated footballs. Like, nonstop! Every time I turn on the news, it's like, 
Deflate gate. <laughs> New news. <laughs> they said they didn't know, but did they really not know? <laughs> it's a friggin' ball! I mean, it, the, the best thing is that Colts linebacker or whatever, he's like, they could have been playing with soap and beat us. He's like, hands down, the, the Patriots were the better team. I, just, I don't know, I just think it's good. That was my soapbox. I just had to get up there. Okay. Objective, I just want you to write this down. Objective truth states that morality <clears throat> involves a standard of right and wrong. which is outside and independent. <coughs> Objective truth is a morality that involves a standard of right and wrong, which is outside and independent of what we think or feel. You guys are slow writers. That was fast. <coughs> Objective truth is morality that involves a standard of right and wrong, which is outside of us and independent of what we think or feel. <clears throat> this is what Lewis call, calls the law of human nature. Okay, so objective truth and the law of human nature. I just, just so we're clear, I'm going to use stuff interchangeably. Okay, so you want to know this? I also will at times probably use this, what we call natural law, which is different from the law of nature. Natural law, law of human nature, objective truth, they're all the same, they're synonyms of one another, okay? Same with subjective, most of the time I'm just going to use relativism. <clears throat> subjective truth. <clears throat> also known as relativism, is morality that is based on the subject. <clears throat> you decide what's true. Immediate dangers. Anybody? Especially here. It's obvious. Huh? Well, I mean, there's like obvious examples in the past of dangers. Oh, we've talked, I've brought up the Nazis a thousand times already. I mean, <laughs> right. Right. So, so the danger of relativism is if you're true and I'm. You're right and I'm right and she's right and she's right and you're right and you're right and nobody re there is no standard then is what the Nazis did bad? No, I mean it's maybe to you, but to them it was great. So yeah, that's that's an evident danger right away. Who's right? You know, I mean I've, I've often I say this a lot when I teach about relativism. I've often wanted to like go up. Seems like you're the only guy in the front. Like, you know, you're talking to a guy and he's like, no, I do what I want to do and I can, you know, I party, I drink, I, blah, I can do whatever I want. Nobody's going to tell me, don't judge me, only God can judge me, blah, blah. So I'd be like, you believe there's absolutely no truth, right? 
There is no truth. What I say is true is true, and what you say is true is true. And so what I think is right is right, right? And they're like, yeah, that's right. And just, bam. I mean, just clock them, knock them out. <clears throat> and while they're laying on the ground, just be like, damn, that felt good. So it must have been good. And walk away. <clears throat> no, I mean, that's how ridiculous it is. I just imagine you thinking about that. I'd love to punch somebody as a priest. No, I mean, in, you know, it would be all, it would be a fair fight. I wouldn't just, you know, hit somebody. You want to hear a funny story? I actually got, so, I've, I've been hit many times in my life in the face. <laughs> because most of the time I'm trying to break up fights. Because fights just seem so stupid to me. But one time... I was, this was back when I was at NDSU. This will, the football players, man, you, you guys will, uh, you'll, you'll appreciate this. So I was playing, I had no idea. First of all, I was playing pool. I was at this Christmas party. I was playing pools, me and my buddy, and then we were against these two. This one guy was pretty big, and this other guy was a freaking monster. He was huge. And I'm like, wow, these guys are really big. My buddy's like, oh, those are they're football players for NDSU. I'm like, ow. I was like, what? He's like, well, that guy's, you know, whatever. What big guys? What do you guys play? What position? I ain't bigger. You're bigger. High school, I played guard. Guard. We'll call it guard. Okay. I thought you played now. Oh, he does. Suck. Anyway, so it's a it's a guard and and uh, and and the other guy was a quarterback. I'm like, oh. Yeah, that was back when NDSU did not have four <laughs> national championships. We were really bad. And so, like, he's sitting there, and I was, you know, I was having a good time. I was in no way, I want to be very clear, I was in no way drunk. I had had a few beers. I was having a good time. We were playing pool. And I don't know why I said this, but <laughs> the quarterback, he's setting to break, right? And he breaks, and... I mean, it was the worst break I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, oh, man, if your pool game is anything like your football game, we got this game in the bag. <laughs> well, last night, the night before, he had thrown four interceptions, which I didn't know. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, and then the big guy was like, why do you got to go there? I'm like, go oh, where? I was just totally oblivious. I was just talking a little trash. He's like, football. I'm like, um, I don't know. <laughs> You know, like, and like, you know, that was it. It was kind of this scuffle, and he was pissed. All of a sudden, like, later on, I went up. I was going to get a glass of water. And all of a sudden, I felt this tap on my shoulder. Turn around. It's the quarterback. Just, bam. Just drops me. And this, and then the other, my buddy, like, jumps on it, like, tries to grab him. And this big, this big guard, like, catches him by the throat and throws him down. I mean, we didn't have a shot. So I was like, I'm just going to lay on the ground. <laughs> anyway, so I, I did get punched, but I've, I've uh, never really thrown a punch. So, subjective truth is all about, and that's why we call it relativism. Relativism means what? Truth is relative. It's relative to the sub subject. Okay? So you decide what's right, I decide what's right, blah, blah, blah. It all comes, it comes, you know, like for a lot, this goes way back to ancient times. There was this guy, his name was uh, Protagoras, Protagoras, however you want to say it. And he was, he was a really good, what we call, rhetorician. Do you know what rhetoric is? Yeah. What's rhetoric? Like a poem type thing? Yeah. Writing? No. Like a little dancing? No. <laughs> no. Is that like 
It's the art of speaking. So it's, it's, it's being able to get people to believe things that aren't true. So like, who's a good rhetorician? Hitler. Yeah, Hitler would have been a decent one. Um, you know, so anyway, the point being is he said, he said, truth is relative, and I can prove that it's relative because I could get you, I could get a jury that has convicted a man of murder just by rhetoric to not, to, to unconvict him and say he was not guilty. <clears throat> There's no truth. It's all about how you present the point and if people believe you or not. That was his whole point. Now, back in the day, everybody laughed at him because that was back when people really believed in truth. And they even made a comedy about him, a play. And it was called The Clouds. Aristophanes put this play together. Aristophanes would have been like the Steven Spielberg of the ancient world, or Peter Jackson or something like that. <laughs> but anyway, it was a big deal. And he wrote this play, and in the play, it's about this teacher who teaches that there is no such thing as truth, and the teacher believes that if he just uses the right rhetoric, he can sway the kids to believe that there's no truth. And guess what happens in the end of the play? Got it. Yeah, the kids kill the teacher. Because there's no truth. And everybody, ah, this is hilarious, because this is stupid. But for some reason, thousands of years go by, and all of a sudden we get this guy, <clears throat> his name is Rene Descartes. Not Descartes. Descartes. <clears throat> it's really important, I want you to write him down. Because he, introduced, he, inter he reintroduces into philosophy <clears throat> doubt. Now there's a difference between doubt and contemplation Right? Or questioning. <clears throat> what Descartes says is he says, well, you know, everything, everybody's saying there's truth, there's objectivity, there's all this stuff. And I've got to believe that Rene Descartes was like a, a, kind of an ancient hippie. Pretty sure he was a hippie. <clears throat> because, he would, you know, he's sitting around, it's like, if everybody believes truth, what if we doubt? And they're like, doubt what? He's like, everything. <laughs> like, what do you mean, Rene? Well, like, everything. Well, give us an example. Okay, well, I'll give you. I can, I, I've come up, I've been thinking about this a long time. I got these three levels of doubt. Okay? So check this out. First one. Sense knowledge. <clears throat> Renee, why should we doubt sense knowledge, man? <laughs> Sorry. Because, man, whose senses are right? Right? One guy might be sitting on a park bench, and he's sitting there, and he's sitting with his girlfriend, and all of a sudden this little breeze picks up, it's a sunny day, and he's like, oh, man, that feels great. And she's like, brr, that's kind of chilly. Who's right, man? They can't both be right. And everybody's like, oh, no. <laughs> like, who do we trust? He's like, you can't, you can't trust sense knowledge. What if I came up and I said, that's smooth. And he came up and he's like, that's a little rough. Who's right? It's relative. It's relative to the person. It's relative to your senses. What if colorblind people are actually not colorblind and we're all colorblind? I don't know if he said all these things. I'm just making them up. <laughs> But this is what he's talking about. I taste something, I'm like, oh, bitter. You're like, whoa, sweet. Who's right? You know, maybe 
many people that can't smell? Maybe they're using their nose for the right function. And there are no smells. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, <laughs> oh, this is amazing. Like, Renee, we never thought about this. Now, does Renee Descartes have a point? Does he have a point? Yes. Yes, he has a point. However, The difference between absolute zero and the, the temperature, the core temperature of the sun, absolute zero and 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Is, every, is anybody going to stand here and be like, whoa, it's kind of warm? Or is anybody going to stand here and be like, legit it? No! That's hot, that's cold. On his concept of sense knowledge, where does it lie on the line? It is so minuscule that you couldn't even see it. So yes, is there some variation? Yeah, there's some variation, but come on. Nobody's gonna walk across glass and say, woohoo, it feels like fur. <laughs> I'm serious. Or rub sandpaper on their face and be like, oh, exfoliation, you know? I mean, sure, there's a point here, but what his problem is is he takes this and he applies it to everything. He said, if we can't know our senses, oh my gosh. You guys, where do you get 99% of your knowledge? Senses. Your senses. You read it with your eyeballs, which is a sense, sight. You taste it with your tongue, which is a sense, taste. You feel it with your hands, which is touch. You hear it with your ears. I'm talking to you, you're getting knowledge, hopefully, right now. If we doubt our senses, oh my gosh, we lose 95% of all knowledge. All truth is out the door. But he doesn't stop there. He says, no, 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 no. He's like, you guys think this is blowing your mind? Hold on. Check out number two. <clears throat> dreams, fellas. Let's talk about dreams. Renee, what are you talking about, man? You guys ever had a dream where you're sleeping and you're dreaming and it's so real that you feel like you're there? And especially those dreams where when you wake up, you're like, thank God that didn't happen. I had one where I killed a person and I was dragging the dead body and hiding it places. And I really felt like I was there. You got, I'm like carrying this body. I'm like, my priesthood is over. And I'm like, I don't even know how. I don't think I killed this person. But I feel like I did. It is so frustrating. I'm telling you, one of the, one of the most real dreams I ever had, and I don't know why I had this dream, but I was in, you know, you, you guys have seen Inception, right? This is what the, Descartes talking about. Inception is not a new idea. They took Rene Descartes and they kind of just made it into a movie. And one of the things I love about Inception is they say you know you're in a dream, first of all, how? Do you remember? No. That's how, that's how you'd be sure of it. But the first thing is, how did you get here? Remember that? They're like, how did we get here? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. 
You have no recollection of it. So the first moment of this dream, I'm literally tied in this chair. And I'm like, you know what I'm like? I, 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 it, you know how you just like, you're in, you're in it. And I'm just like, Fred, does my face hurt? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm tied. And this guy, I look up and he's like, where is it? And he's just like, boom. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> and I'm like, I'm telling you, man, I have never felt, I mean, it felt like I was really being hit in the face. And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, you've been saying that for the past hour. <laughs> oh my gosh, because I don't know. I really don't know, I swear to God. And he's just like, but I mean, this guy is beating the hell out of me. And like blood, like I felt a tooth fall out. And then all I could think of was like, I gotta go to the dentist now. Like, how am I gonna get the tooth? You know, it was, it was terrible. I'm bleeding, I'm all puffy. And he's like, he's like, this is weird. And there's all these guys with like guns and stuff around. And it, I'm in this like gold hall. And, I'll, and then he's like, this isn't gonna work. He's like, we're wasting our time. I'm like, I know, because I don't know where it is. I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. And so this other guy, he's like, he's like, just bring him in. And I'm like, bring him in. I'm like, what are you bringing in? And I, this is, it's kind of embarrassing. But like five hookers come into the room. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're a priest, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you made a promise of celibacy, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, ladies, take it from him. And I'm just like, no! <laughs> I'm like, no, get me out of here! And it was funny because they're like walking at me. All of a sudden, I just like stopped like, Jesus, please. And all of a sudden, the straps just like uncanny. They just came <laughs> on And I'm man, like hookers are flying. Like I'm <laughs> throwing them out of my way. <laughs> and, and, and then I'm running at a dead sprint. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to get out of here. And I look back and I see this, I see this guy, he's like, it's like this ninja or something, I don't know. He's like, like this with these two swords. And he's just like, like that. And it, have you ever seen, um, oh, what the hell's the name of that? Sherlock Holmes? Where it's just like, you know, it like slows down. That's exactly what it was like. And it was like in slow motion, all of a sudden it's like. And then I like panned up and I saw myself running. And I'm like, crap, there's a sword coming at me. <laughs> and it was literally like Matrix, you know, I was like, Pfft. and it like, it goes right over the top of me and I'm like, yeah. But I obviously didn't see that he had two swords and he threw a second one. And it was just like, Pfft, like that. You guys, <laughs> I don't know what my body was experiencing at that time, but <laughs> the pain, I was just like, Pfft, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and it was, so, I'm like, this is it. Like, I'm gonna die. And then all of a sudden, the, it, like, you know, the initial shock, and all of a sudden, the pain of the sword, I'm just like, ah! And I wake, I wake up in my bed, and I'm like, ah! Yes! <laughs> it's like this huge relief. Well, Descartes is saying, what if dreams are reality, and reality is, in fact, a dream? What if, right now, all of you aren't real. I'm the architect. I made this dream. And right now, I exist probably somewhere, I don't know where, but I'm having this dream. But this isn't reality. This is a dream. Now imagine a bunch of weed smokers sitting around listening to this guy. like, wow, this is amazing. Like Descartes, you're the man. Like what if we're all living in a dream? You know? And it gets kind of foolish, but at the same time, he's hearkening to human experience. 
Because you, maybe you haven't had like dreams like I have. Maybe I'm really weird and I just made that manifest to everybody. But maybe you have had dreams where you really are in them and you really feel that. Okay? So he says dreams. What if dreams are reality and reality is dream book three? And then last, which is where he gets a little off the deep end, is he talks about God. He says, what if religion teaches this omnipotent God who is all good and all loving and all merciful? What if, in fact, that's not true? He said, if we look at experience, if we look at reality, now think about this. Reality, you know, we were talking about creation being, right, God's a masterpiece. Is creation a loving, merciful, gentle, beautiful thing? Yeah, but it's also incredibly dangerous. I remember being, I, I go fishing up in Canada once a year, which is just like, talk about beauty, oh my gosh. But at night, you're like sitting, and you know, everything's just still. And you hear the loons calling back and forth. It's so, it's just, and then all, but all of a sudden, there comes a point, as the sun is set, and it's getting kind of dusk out, that you hear this like, it's this hum over the lake. And the first time I was out there, I was like, that's a really beautiful hum. Like, I'm enjoying that hum. Where does that come from? And all of a sudden, it's like, ah! You know, like, you just get attacked by mosquitoes. They're everywhere. I mean, so creation in itself, I mean, when you think of the violence of the sun, you know, I mean, like a solar flare, if it goes too big, it will, like, fry half of the world. Space is incredibly dangerous. The mountains, as beautiful as they are, are incredibly dangerous. Animals are incredibly dangerous. Wild animals, that is. So he said, why are we assuming, why are we contemplating reality and saying that God is good when this is a really harsh reality? It's a harsh, they're harsh conditions. You know what I say? This God is bad. Or non-existent. Now the crazy part is Descartes was a Christian. <laughs> Now, he was just introducing, he was having some fun. But the problem is, is what he introduced, he goes on from this, because what he says, he, this is kind of like the gauntlet, right? If anything can pass through this, it would be true. And, and any of you that know any, any small bit of philosophy, Descartes says, the only thing that can make it through this that I know to be absolutely true is what? Do you know his famous saying? I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. So he says... The only thing that can pass through all this is I am a thinking being. I am thinking about this thing, these things, and therefore I exist. Whether I exist in a, in, in a dream or in reality, my senses are true or not, God is real or not, all I can tell you is that I think, and if I'm thinking about thinking, I must be existing. And then from that, he goes on to prove all other types of stuff. But the point is, is that he used doubt. And this increased and increased and increased, and people are like, we need to doubt, 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 doubt. Now, questioning, even doubting a little bit is okay so long as you're in the pursuit of truth. But if you just begin to doubt all truth, then everything becomes subjective because it's all up to you. You know, Rene Descartes would have been like, he would have been a relativist at the end of this. He's his own God. Okay. I think therefore I am. We have a few more minutes. Um, and maybe I'm going to stop <clears throat> because yeah I wanna, what I want to go into next 
and, and we'll, by the way, next week there is no class, if you remember. Uh, make sure you read your stuff for uh, your Christianity, get your paper written on that, and uh, you, hand, or you have a quiz on the reading. Hmm? In two weeks. Yep. <clears throat> so, and, and again, you guys, I know this is, maybe I'm asking too much, but read the first part again. Read it again before you read the second part. Or read the second part and this week, and then next week, read the whole thing. It's not a bad idea. Okay? Because it'll get some stuff. But what I want to start talking about is faith and reason. Because we are trained in the secular world to think faith and reason don't go together. That reason should be trusted. And when I say reason, I mean like science, the sciences, you know, the physics, chemistry, mathematics, all those hard, you know, fat, fast, factual things. And faith should be doubted. As if the two didn't go together. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about a thing called scientism. Which means that everything can be boiled down to science. Science can prove everything that's true. Huh? No, that's Scientology. But who it is, do you all know Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking is, you know, the, the, the guy that's, you know, handicapped but is able to speak through the computer. He espouses scientism. That is that all things can be somewhat, what, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Reduced to science. That science is the only thing that can truly prove anything true. Everything else should be negated. And you'll see that. Even in Congress, I have a buddy that, li that lives out in Washington, D.C. He's a chaplain for Congress. <clears throat> he said to try to pass a bill that is not supported by scientific research is almost impossible. The only reason we're even getting close to passing a bill about like the human person or the heartbeat or things like that is because it's scientifically proven now that life begins at conception. <clears throat> and when science proves it, then it can be law. But there's a, there's a huge, 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 huge problem with, with the statement, science is the only thing that can prove truth. And we'll talk about that next week. Any questions? Good. Sorry for my rants. Just passionate about the stuff. I want you guys to be passionate about it. Take some time, huh? Take some time this week to sit and enjoy something. Look at a basketball for a while. Contemplate it.